Your host, Katie Thomas, is the Director of Portfolio Services at New Day Solutions, a firm offering expertise in retirement planning with more than 25 years of experience, dedicated to high net worth individuals, families, and business owners. We work with you to have a coordinated approach for your comprehensive investment goals, providing concierge service for all generations from a team who can see things from your side of the table. Go to NewDaySolutions.com for more information. Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. Hey there, and welcome back. This is KT Thomas at KT's Money Matters, bringing to you tips and quips about your money and different ways to help you think about how you grow it, expand it, maybe think about self-employment or think about your professional business development. And I'm always looking for speakers that I think are guests for the podcast that are interesting. They run kind of an interesting business. They have sort of a different slant on how they do things financially and professionally. And so I was many of you know, like I'm the ferocious reader of all things. And so I was reading the National Speakers Association magazine and our next guest had authored an article called Profits in Partnership. Now, this particular article was leaned sort of towards the speaking sort of industry, but it made me think about partnerships in general. And, you know, they always say it's the best form of business failure. And there's a lot of pros and cons to partnerships. Sometimes they're really great. The energy of a partnership can be fantastic. And sometimes, you know, I always think about it like a bead dating followed by a shotgun wedding. People end up in business together and they don't even know who each other are. And then the business blows up because it was kind of a good idea, but there was no real plan. So I thought we would have our Sean McBride, who wrote this article, come in and talk with us about forming a partnership and the benefits of a partnership and how you think about profits in partnership. He works with business leaders all over the country and helps them find their team's way of doing business differently that enhances their effectiveness. So, you know, finding that special secret sauce of a particular business and helping them figure out how they all work together. On the side, not really on the side, but as a side note, he's also a practicing attorney. So he takes a lot of the business strategy and the business strategist legal component of it and is able to bring that to what he does. And so I thought he would be a great guest to talk about partnerships and about the structure of business partnerships and what you should be thinking about. So without further ado, Sean, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really looking forward to this. And yeah, that article was an interesting piece and it really gets people thinking. And I'm glad, I'm looking forward to sharing some notes with your audience to help them think about this issue. Yeah, it really got to me. You know, you were talking about in the article, all of these different businesses that really started as a partnership, these big named firms that really started as, you know, two guys or five guys or 20 guys with an idea who came together like, you know, Hewlett Packard and Google and Microsoft and Ford. And obviously there are many others that really started with the idea of two people or three people bringing together what they had and creating something new from it. But we've, you know, we've all heard both sides of that. And so I was hoping that you could help shed some light on what people should be thinking about if they're considering entering a partnership with someone. And maybe we'll start with just a little bit about what you do in your sure. current work and help yep. people understand that from that perspective. 
Yeah, so I'm a corporate lawyer by training, and part of what we do as corporate lawyers is bring businesses together. So, you know, I'll be, you know, early in my career, I was charged with setting up companies, set up the subsidiary. We've got this part owner over here, you know, equity investment, stockholders coming in and out. Always some tune of, no matter what you do, there's always some tune of multiple people working together on business of any scale. Sometimes it's a co ownership partnership which is that article we talked about in the speaker magazine. Yes. You know, sometimes it's people say, Hey, let's go in this 50, 50. We got this idea. Let's start together. And sometimes it's a form of partnership where maybe you have a key person who's, you know, really commercializing the business and you've got a silent partner that puts the money in there. We see all different forms of way people can bring multiple people together. But this, this has kind of been the early part of my career as being a lawyer, looking at these structures, working on them. And I still do that to this day. What came in later was really coming in and doing more of the business strategy work. How do we get the right partners together? How do we make sure that this business is going to last? What are the indications that we have a good partnership? And over time, from the experience of having so many clients come through, so many businesses work, so many businesses not work, I was able to start gleaning lessons of really what makes a good partnership, what makes a bad partnership, the type of work you should do up front. And how to make sure that after you put all this time and money into this partnership, that at least there's a good possibility that you're going to walk away with some payment for your time and money on the back end, regardless of what happens. So you've hit the hot button that everybody wants to know. What makes a good partnership? Yeah, the key is understanding. And you you talked about, you know, in the intro about a shotgun wedding followed by a marriage. And, And that's really how most people come into a partnership. And that's an unfortunate way to handle it, right? People jump in, oh yeah, we're you know, we're gonna make a bunch of money. And what I often say is, you know, what we and it, and it works a little better when I'm standing in front of an audience showing them, but one person's thinking about something that's a little bit off to the left, the other person's thinking about something that's a little off to the right. But they're close enough that when they're talking in very general terms, they think they have a partnership agreement. They think Right. They think they're saying the same thing, but they're really not they're going to exit for. But what really, what we often find when people do it too quick is their understanding of the future of the business was different. And that problem may not expose itself for two, three, five years sometimes when one of them says, really, I thought we were going to build this business and sell for a couple million dollars. And the other says, no, I'm going to spend my entire career building this business and sell for eight figures or or nine figures, you know, 20 years from now. Well, now we got a real problem because, you know, one partner's ready to cash it in and slow down a lifestyle and the other wants to double down and put more work and effort into making something really, really big. So, you know, these are the kinds of discussions we need to have that makes a good partnership. When we get that fundamental understanding at the beginning and everybody's on the same page, that allows us to create something that really lasts and creates value and avoids a lot of the problems that we see over and over again. So when you're working with potential clients that are coming to you thinking about forming a partnership, you know, I've been in the financial advice business for more than a quarter of a century. And what I'll say to you is people's lives change fairly abruptly. And sometimes what they thought Mm -hmm. they would do sometimes can change overnight. And I think that, you know, when people are in a partnership, they should think about what the contingency planning is. You know, what happens if one of the partners, you know, falls out of bed and says, you know, I'm sick and I'm not going to work anymore. I'd like to get my half now. You know, how do how do you you address that in a partnership in the beginning? Or do you have a contingency plan for how you do that? Or if a partnership is in jeopardy, they've basically got to go back to the table and try to figure it out. 
Well, that's what you don't want to do. The last, the last one is what you don't want to do. There's different degrees of specificity and different amounts of effort you can put into how much you want to build these protections, right? And that's that's a cost benefit decision you make in the formation stage. Big companies, you know, when I work deals where I have multiple companies that are investing, you know, multi-million dollar assets, maybe you know some oil field assets, and then somebody else is going to be managing the company, and we've got possibly tens of millions of dollars of assets coming together. Well, they spend a lot of time talking about how it breaks apart and what and the what if scenarios. When people are bringing together, maybe you know, their time, a couple hundred thousand dollars or something like that, you know, maybe you do something a little quicker. There's some quick and dirty things we can do that don't take as much legal time to draft, don't take as much negotiation, but they still give you the protection. But the key is to have some uncomfortable conversations very early on. I mean, this we, we made the dating analogy earlier in your intro, and I think that's a very good analogy, right? You're generally not going to marry somebody after the first date. People do do it. They do it in do business, it. though, all the time. Right. They do it in business all the time. Some people do it in real life, occasionally successfully. Yeah, some people they do and not well. Once in a great while, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. It's not usually a good plan. Not usually a good plan. So what you really want to do is kind of work through, you know, not necessarily the same rhythm or pace as the dating process, but at some point you need to start having the difficult conversations. You know, in a dating world, it might be, you know, where do you want to live? What religion? Do you want to have children? You know, what does our life together look like? How do we want to spend our time? These are the kind of conversations you have to have to find out if you're really compatible. Right. In the business, you need what I designed over time is what I call the four D's. And it's four critical elements that every prospective partnership should be talking about with each other, which is death. What happens if somebody dies? Where does the ownership go? How does somebody get cashed out? How do we continue the business if, if one owner's not here? Disability. That one falls out of bed in the morning and they can't come to work. You know, what do we do with the business then? You know, is there a buyout at that point? Does one will become a cash investor to get dividends? What does that look like? Divorce. What if somebody gets divorced from, from their spouse in their private life? Often the courts will divide those partnership interests just like anything else. And so you may have, a, you may have an ex-spouse comes marching into the partnership arrangement because they're now part owner of the business. That can be very awkward. Yeah, that's like a made-for-TV thing. Yeah, and, yeah, and unfor- yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, I've had clients get themselves into that made-for-TV. Right, for TV. and it's very bad. It's very bad. It's bad for everybody involved. Nobody's usually happy. I had one case years ago where a uh, ex-wife was getting, she was getting paper profits, right? So it was a partnership. They were reinvesting the money essentially. So she was getting tax return statements, you know, 1099s that said she was making a profit or a K-1, a K-1, partnership K-1. She would get a K-1 saying that she was making a profit, but there was no cash because all the cash was going back in the business. So effectively she had to write a check to the IRS every year. For money she wasn't getting. For money she wasn't getting. So she very quickly became a very unhappy partner in the partnership. So now we have the one spouse is still in the partnership. The ex-spouse is now technically in the partnership and not happy with how it's being run. Now that ex-spouse is calling up and asking questions of the partners and calling their lawyer and lawyers get involved. It gets very, very ugly very fast. And then the fourth D is disagreement. You know, what do you do if you disagree? And, you know, a lot of partners come in, they don't want to spend much time on disagreement because they say, oh, we're good friends. Some of them have known each other for a long period of time. Oh, we've always gotten along. We're always getting along. But like you say, life changes and often it changes quickly. Um, You know, somebody in the family gets ill. Somebody has a medical issue. Somebody has a near-death experience. Yeah, and suddenly they just have a different thought about everything. 
Right. Somebody In one case, I had partners that were working with me and they were both working a lot of hours and they got approached by their spouses about their time usage and the fact that they weren't spending a lot of time with their families. And the one partner was like, okay, I understand. I want to back my time down. We're going to, you know, let's redouble up on the marriage. And the other partner said, I really don't like my marriage anyway. I want to double down on the business. And (laughs) now one partner's backing out and the other partner's doubling down. And that that became very uncomfortable between the two because one wanted to spend more hours and put more effort into it. And the other one wanted to turn it more into a lifestyle company and drift. Right. So I can answer this question just as I'm saying it out loud. Basically, you always think that should should be a written agreement, right? That these people that go into business Definitely. together with a handshake are basically just asking for it at some point in time to get blown up because they don't yeah. have a structure to fall back on if they actually need one. That's right. I mean, the handshake, it, it does occasionally work, you know, but that doesn't mean that you should always do it. I mean, you can drive around your car without your seatbelt. You can do a lot of dangerous things, you know, and get away with it. And occasionally people do, but you really need to have these discussions. And it's not just because these things are likely to happen, because life is likely to change right. and unpredictably, but also it builds a better business. When you really have these discussions, you understand each other better, you become more effective partners, you really build something that's bigger and more meaningful for everybody. And then can I ask, a, you know, people come to me all the time with, I don't want to call them harebrained ideas, but I get, you know, people come with me, what about this? And what about that? And I think to myself, or this friend of mine, this is like my favorite, this friend of mine who's got this really great lead to this guy that's got this property that we want to buy together. And, you know, he, the guy doesn't have any money and he doesn't have any credit. And I'm like, you know, then he gets a finder's fee because, you know, a partner has to have something to bring to the table. They can't just have a relationship with somebody they know they can buy a house from and you're going to give them half of everything for that. And so people get into these partnerships with people that are where the other partner maybe isn't financially ready. And so I always say, you know, do you, do you want to do some under the due diligence? One of the things is figuring out, you know, are you, you know, marrying the proverbial train wreck financially or are you, you know, is this person ready to be in business? Have they ever been in a business before? Do they need to live on the income the business generates right away? Can they afford to pay yep. their bills even if the business isn't going well? Could they afford to add money into the business if they needed to? And I think people yep. don't even ask these questions and then they get kind of in over their head. And, um, and one of them says, give me my money back. I need it to pay my mortgage. And the other one goes, we don't have that money. Yep. Exactly. The money's invested in the business. It's tied up in assets. It's tied up in some uh, software we developed. It's, you know, we paid it to a, we paid it to an engineer who designed an application. Now the app's still being commercialized, right? I mean, right. a lot of times, you know, there, there's rarely a pool of money sitting in the business to cash people in and out. That's right. Uh, and that's, that's the reality of it. Yeah. These are the types of things we like to discuss early on. One of the exercises I often do with partners uh, when they come, come to my office is have them get out a piece of paper and I have very simple exercise. I have each of them, you know, write down on one column left side, you know, what they are going to contribute to the partnership and on the right side, what do they expect to get from the partnership? And just that mere exercise of having every partner write down kind of the in and the out. This is what I'm putting in. This is what I want out. Uh, And then exchange those among the partners. That can be a real eye opener, right? Because one of them wants 50% 50% ownership and the other one wants 75% ownership. Well, you can't have both of those. That's right. You both can't win um, on that. Right. You know, one of them wants to get a salary and the other one wants to reinvest the money in the business. Uh, these are the types of things you start to uncover as you have these deeper discussions. But like you say, a lot of people do this very fast. They don't get into the details and then they're surprised 
uh, by what happens. So that's why we need to have these discussions up front, have the kind of the fundamental understandings, make sure everybody's on the same page. And so one of the things you talk about in your article is this idea of the pre-flight checklist, kind of making sure that you do all of this work before you run at the business. That's exactly what you should be doing, right? I mean, and what's disappointing is when I was very early in my speaking career, I used to do a lot of small venues. And I remember being in the basement of this restaurant. Um, I think there were about 20 people in the audience and we talked about partnerships. And after a while, afterwards, this guy walked up to me and he was like, you know, I put five years into this partnership and now my partners have froze me out and I'm not getting any money for the five years I've put into the business. And he was really in a position where, you know, it wasn't, he was in a tough spot you right. know, and I couldn't, full, couldn't fully analyze his case uh, sitting there in the basement, but it was pretty clear. He put his time and money into it. His partners had uh, pushed him out and, you know, unless he was going to do a big litigation and go a long way with it, he basically was getting nothing for five years of effort. Uh, that's why you need these pre-flight checklists, you know, make sure you understand what's going to happen and how people are going to be cashed in and out. And what if you do separate ways? It really, the time to do that is before you put five years of effort into your business. Right. Not after. Uh, not after. Because in the beginning, everybody thinks they're going to make a lot of money and all these things aren't going to matter. Right. And it, well, and sometimes they do world. make a lot of money. I don't mean to say that business yeah. aren't successful. No, it, I mean, God knows I've started a couple myself. I mean, I believe in it. But right. we all know that you know some ideas go really well and other ideas don't go as well, and then sometimes life just gets in the way. Yeah, that's the issue, right? I mean, it, it, it doesn't even really matter. I mean, yes, success does hide some of these blemishes that when you have the business that makes a ton of money and everybody's just laughing their way to the bank uh, because they hit on something great, yeah, maybe, maybe then you don't, have the, you don't have to worry about this as much. But that's, yeah, that's rarely the case. You know, there's always, you know, one thinks we should sell now. One thinks we should wait till later to sell. One says, you know, uh, we should go start shopping the company now. And the other says we should build it another year. You know, these are the kind of things where you, it's hard to predict that, right? I mean, you can't predict today. That's right. You know, what you're going to, what your attitude is going to be about the marketplace, your competitors, your potential uh, merger, your merger suitors. You can't, you can't guess exactly what the marketplace is going to look like two, three, five years from now. And those are real-time decisions based on real-time information you're going to have to make. So to sit here and say, we partners agree that we're going to sell the business in five years for $3 million. Well, five years from now, $3 million might seem like a good number, might seem like a bad number, might seem like it's time to wait, might seem like it's time to cash out. And if they may disagree at that time. Right. If one of those persons, one of the people is going, hey, we said we were going to cash out. And they're like, where's my money? You don't have right. it. You're, you've got problems. You got to have a plan there. You got to understand what you're going to do in that situation. And, you know, the time, again, the time to have that discussion is when you're starting out to say, okay, if we get three years down the line from now, one of us wants out, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, how are we going to address that? You know, what do we do as far as bringing in another person as an investor? Is there some way we can cash it out of the business over time? The time to have that discussion is then, not when you're in the heat of battle and you're still growing the business, you're still servicing your customers, you're still doing the other stuff, and now you got to stop and do an internal negotiation as well. And so, you know, one of the things that, you know, in the article you talk about is determining whether or not the business partnership is working. And so, can you talk a little bit about a system to help people figure out whether the business is working beside the fact that, you know, it's making money or it's not making money? Because I would argue that most business owners go, well, I'm profitable. It must be good. Or I'm not making any money. This is a bad idea. But, but how do you know it's a good partnership or not? 
Well, a lot. It really, I mean, part of it's intangible, right? Like, are you are you creating value to the world? Are you building something bigger than what the individual people could do alone? Uh, these are these are indications of a successful partnership. Uh, if everybody's you know coming to work, they feel engaged. They're they're creating more value. They're they're building off of each other's synergies. That's an indication of success. That's an indication that you're doing something right. If, on the other hand, everybody's frustrated, they're fighting, they really don't want to be there, but they got so much time and money into it, they have to be there. Uh, that's that's like a bad marriage, you know. And we see partnerships like that. You know, it's you're you're stuck going to work every. I mean, people get stuck going to their corporate jobs, you know, because they don't they can't get their resume out fast enough, and they can't find another company to hire them. Right? We hear about people that are mad about being stuck at their corporate job. It's like tenfold if you're stuck in a business you own with a partner you don't like. Right, because it's, you can't even leave at five o'clock. Right, you can't even leave at five o'clock, and you can't and 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 the you know. Yeah, <laughs> the, you know, time, the time frame the time frame of floating your resume greatly in, enhances, right? right? You know, you in corporate America, maybe you can get a job depending on your level and depending on your salary and all. Maybe you can get a job within you know three, six, ten months. Maybe you can move to another company. If you own the business, the odds of you getting out within a year without having an agreement with your partner is pretty slim. Pretty slim. Yeah. So you got to you got to watch out what you build for. You know, my mother used to say, "Don't pray for elephants unless you have a big backyard." You know, you go in business with somebody and you build something, whether it's profitable, you know, and it turns out to be all your dreams or not. You just have to make sure that you have, first of all, the willingness to engage and really build and grow the business, but also a partner that is in alignment mm -hmm. with what well, with what it is the two of you are trying to do. And then the financial whereabout to be able to ride out those precarious times in every business. And any anybody that's ever been in business certainly can tell you, you know, you look at some of the most. I always think about the Microsoft guys, you know, they were working in a garage. They couldn't have afforded to even work in a, you know, in an office. So yep. there's a time when you're kind of, you know, living on tuna, trying to make yep. a living and trying to build something and you have to be excited and you have to be committed right. and you have to be focused on the solution. And yep. you have, partners have to be in the same place too. Yeah, there's a picture from Amazon about 15 years ago, and, and Jeff Bezos is sitting at, at a desk that appears to be a door that's put on a couple of stands. Yeah. And it's, it, well, it wasn't that long ago. It was within right. the, you know, and that, now that business obviously is huge. But right. you know, every business has those periods of leanness, and you're going to have to, you know, especially if you go in early on, it's likely you're going to have a lean period before your business takes off. So uh, your partner and you are going to have to figure out how to work through that, you know, and people do have different lifestyles too, right? So right. we see that, we see that with marriages, someone is, someone to spend money to be a certain lifestyle and others say, yeah, we can cut out all the frills and we'll just, you know, push through for the future. And there's, there's really no right or wrong answer, but when you're a business partner with somebody, you better agree on it. That's right. The two of you have to sort of be symbiotic in that. Yeah. Otherwise, right. well, you, have, you know, because one wants one wants to pull all the money out and go on vacations, and the other wants to reinvest and you know double down on the marketing strategy or hire new sales reps. Well, you you can't you often can't have both. Right. And so you got to pick one or the other, and you got to have a mechanism where you're going to make that decision. You know, and uh, a lot of partnerships, you know, are fifty fifty because nobody wants to be the fifty one. That's why we talk about disagreement. And that, you know, when I say the word disagreement, I take a pretty broad definition on it, but that's a conversation we need to have. All right, so two years from now, one of you wants to expand and one of you wants to stay the same size. How do you how do you break that deadlock? And that's you need a mechanism out there. I recommend you put that in your agreement rather than run that to the courthouse. So how would people do that? Like what kind of mechanism would they put in place? 
There's a, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the simplest ones that's very common for smaller partnerships uh, where people don't want to get in complexity is a buyout provision. You know, so if you get into a, a situation where you just cannot agree, you let one buy out the other. Uh, another option is to have a third decision maker in there. So agree in advance to some person who you trust who will kind of be that arbiter or final decision maker. So we've had agreements where, you know, A and B are going in partnership together and they both like and trust C. So they say, okay, if we can't, if we get deadlocked, you know, we'll go to C and C will make the final decision. Assuming C is willing to take that role on, uh, that's another way to get through it. But, you know, there's, there's many different iterations we can run through and I've seen a lot of them over in, in agreements. Uh, you just got to pick one that works. Uh, you know that that is mechanical too. You don't you, you don't want to agree to agree in the future. That's where the That's problems come. Actually, not in. an agreement, right? Yeah. And a lot of times people say, you know, well, if we get in a disagreement in the future, we'll go to medi- mediation. Okay, well, that's nice, but the mediator doesn't really have any authority to right uh, impose a solution. You know, and and then arbitration in the courthouse are usually very bad alternatives because you end up with some person who's not really an experienced business person who's making decisions on the life of your business. Uh, so you really want to come up with some mechanism where either you buy out each other, you restructure, you bring in another partner, you go to a third party. You want some objective way to break that deadlock to keep that business moving forward. So one of the other things you talked in the article about, I'm just going to circle back because tell you the truth, I read a lot and, and your article jumped out to me five or six different ways. But you talked about the accidental co-pilot, this idea of finding yourself in business with somebody that you weren't planning on. Yes, and that that happens a lot, um, and it happens, you know, with people who are not careful about using the word partnership. And I see it floated around a lot. Um, you know, it sounds nice. You know, we're yeah. partners. We work together. We yeah, we uh, work together. Legal- and we partners are different. Right. And, you know, yes, we work together or we cooperate or we do projects together is different than we're partners. Uh, there's a legal principle out there that basically if you get two or more co-owners uh, together in a business, you know, for, for a profitable enterprise and you hold yourself out as being partners, if a third party relies on you being a partnership, they can legally hold you to being a partnership. And why that's very risky is a partnership that's not set up as an LLC or a corporation or, or underneath some type of legal entity uh, typically has what we call unlimited liability, which means if partner A goes out and gets in a, a car accident on behalf of the partnership, partner B's, all their personal assets are now exposed. And that's a surprising result for a lot of people. And this can happen because, you know, there's lots of cases out there where people were not careful about telling people they weren't partners. They kind of pretended like they were. Maybe I see had it all the time in financial services. You know, I've, I came up yeah. with financial services. And one of the things um, that was very popular along the way was this idea of a, a partnership for you know sharing expenses and sharing office and branding and but they yep. didn't really share you know they didn't share revenues but they gave the impression that they were a partnership and it's you know they're yeah. all over yeah. the place right and that's and that's what the court's looking at right so a lot of times in these owner liability cases the court's looking at what's fair usually you have some third party who lost money they lent money to the business they got injured by the business something happened you got some third party versus these business owners and the court's trying to do what's fair. Well, if that third party, you know, if, if, if A and B say A and B hold themselves out as being partners and C lends them money 
and then C later finds out A and B aren't partners, well, C got harmed. Is it fair to C to say that, oh, well, no, you, let, you thought you lent the money to A and B, but you really were only lending the money to A, so you can't go after B, right? I mean, the courts look at what's fair. So if you're telling people you're a partnership, you're telling them you're this bigger thing, but you're not actually that bigger thing, the court's likely to come back and hold you to it. So all you quasi-partnerships out there, not really in business together, but kind of sharing that, you really need to know that that's a risk that you assume and yep. that, um, that, that it's important to think about these risks and make sure you have the right structure. Make sure you have the right structure, make sure you have the right wording in your agreements. You know, um, If you're going to be a partnership with somebody, you know, we keep using the word partnership, and that could be a general partnership, which is that unlimited liability we talked about. could be an LLC or a corporation, right? Go to, go to a lawyer and get it put into a form of an entity where at least you have a firewall where if something goes wrong, you lose the entity, but you don't lose your personal assets. That's right, because most of us have worked our whole lives for what we have. We don't really want to risk it to somebody else's liability just because we, we just didn't even realize that we needed to change it. Exactly. I mean, you know, your partner might go out there and say the wrong thing, uh, commit malpractice. Um, you know, they might, uh, they might have a car accident doing, you know, driving to a meeting. I mean, these are the types of things that could put all your life savings at risk. And so, and on, so that's, on that happy note, yeah, on that happy note. We all know that there are many of us that are going to go into partnerships regardless, right? We're going to go forward because there's some there's some synergy and some, you know, juice of working together and sharing like-minded ideas and expanding on things. So we're not saying never form a partnership. We're saying just slow down and be smart about it. Make sure that you put your ducks in the row first and right. that you, you know, that you meet with a with a competent attorney. And that you make sure that you do the due diligence up front, regardless of how you decide to work through that process, whether you want to contract with somebody um, that does this kind of business strategic um, consulting, or you want to try to work through this yourselves or however you think about it, but that you want to do it. You don't want to just say, you know, you'll do this and I'll do that and we'll make a lot of money and it'll be great. We can work the details out later. Let's just go. Because that's actually a formula. It might work because every once in a while, something that shouldn't work does work. But most of the time, you're inviting um, some hard feelings later on, and perhaps some financial loss. Absolutely, you know, it's it, it was the, the equivalent would be just telling people never to get married, right? Don't get married because right. you might get divorced someday. But right. people still get married. People have great marriages. They enjoy their lives more because they're together. Same can happen in a partnership. You can create more profits, but you got to build it the right way. You got to have those discussions up front and, and lay that foundation. So. Uh, Sean, you've written at least one book. You want to tell people how to get more information about you, how they might reach out to you directly? Sure, yes. Um, you can go to mcbrideforbusiness.com. Uh, that is my website for my business strategy firm. It also has cross-links to my uh, law firm as well. And planningdoneright.com is a website that's focused more on the planning side of business and building business plans. So feel free to check either of those out. Uh, my book is called Business Blunders. It is a guide with 10 dangerous mistakes that we've seen businesses make over and over again. Uh, that was the book I wrote by myself. And then more recently, I co-authored a book on time management called It's About Time. So you can find those on Amazon. Nice. So, Sean, you know, I was actually surprised when I went to your website. Can you talk a little bit about the suits? I'm just curious. Yeah. Yes. So I, I, if, as people see me in person, it's become quite a signature item when I speak to audiences as I often wear unusual suits, uh, which are very bright, vibrant. They, uh, today's suit has a pineapple on it. Uh, and we've launched this thing called Do Business Differently. So throughout my entire career, as I've 
started building these business plans, as I started working with people on their long-range goals and putting together what they want to do in life, I've always told people, you know, be unique, build a business around you, build a path or a plan that reflects who you are. Don't just copy and paste everybody else's life plan. And that's one of the great things about being a business owner is you get to build your plan, right? That's and right. what do you what are, what are your goals? You know, do you want to be in the mountains? Do you want to be at the beach? Do you want to work, you know, around the clock? Do you want to, you know, take 5 months off a year? These are the things you can build into your business over time. Everyone's unique. So I've always had that theme and more recently it came up with the slogan do business differently. So it's a way to encourage people to think about how can they be unique and different in business? How can they do business their way to achieve their goals? Um, and the suits are just a conversation piece to start that. I don't tell people to go buy suits like mine. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's I tell really them, funny because in the article, they have this picture of you looking very loyally, you know, yep. in the brown suit or whatever. And then I go, I go Googling on your site and I, and I start like laughing. I'm like, there's, this is just the two sides of the same person, right? This, the legal structure, make sure you have your ducks in the row. And then that creative side. And it was just, I just thought it was delightful. And it's also the reality of, of uh, adjusting and changing branding because the message of being unique and different was always there, but it never had a visual to it. The visual came in within the last year or so that we had this visual that we attached to the underlying message. So it takes a little while to cycle through all the photos and branding and you know headshots and everything else. So we're in that process right now. Nice. Uh, yeah. So the Money Matters community, thanks you very much for coming and joining us today. And as I said in the beginning of the show, you'll be able to find all the links to reach out to Sean on the show notes. And then if you like this podcast, make sure you tell a friend and they can subscribe for free at iTunes. Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes and show notes, go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.